Okay, so they're only opening up the app for 24 seconds. How do we make those the most productive 24 seconds? Yeah. What do you think are the typical skills we need to build or what do you think we need to do to get to that zero state, like start my own company? We can get enamored with the shiny thing. We can get enamored with the new technology, right? But ultimately, how do you build that business is, is the key thing. What are some of the early signs that these founders can see uh, early in the game to make sure their product can be implemented in reality and how they can course what is the defensible moat that you're going to be building as you go along this trajectory for anybody who's like maybe building a startup right this could be some things which they can consider while reaching out to other people for ad advice and all of that stuff right hey everyone welcome to our podcast everything product uh, in this podcast we talk about the product management concepts and latest technology insights. Today, we are going to continue our interview with uh, Mr. James, the Chief Product Officer and the Advisor for Coho AI Startup as well as Startup Incubator at the Berkeley. For those who did not get a chance to watch the part one of this episode, please do watch using the above link before you watch this session. So why wait? Let's get started. Actually, I have one uh, question on the OKRs itself. So as product managers, right? We think a lot about OKRs, like on every quarterly basis, we think about our metrics, we think about our objectives, what should be our key results, etc. Yeah. I know you were specifically mentioning about thinking about those things and stuff. So any any tips that you could give for PMs on like how we should, uh, I mean, in general, the thought process is like align with your company's vision, align with your uh, organization's yeah. goals, etc. And then start to define. Any tips that you could give for PMs there? Yeah, one of the... This is this is where a, a, a PM, a product leader, can really add tremendous value to the organization as a whole. Um, to folks in the EPD organization, the business can sometimes feel a little bit abstract, especially for people that are more junior earlier on in their career. And and so revenue, et cetera, kind of just feels like, yes, we need to make money. We've got a million dollars ARR, we've got 5 million, 10 million, et cetera. But the distance between that revenue number and the code that they're writing just seems very, very far. And so two things that I would, I would advise a product person to do. The first thing to do is sit down. So as a, as a CPO, sit down with your chief revenue officer and really understand their business, Right. Um, how are they selling? What are they selling for? Sit down with the the, uh, the uh, customer success manager. How are you onboarding users? What are the problems that they're experiencing? Because that's one of the hurdles that they're going to have to get over to actually get a, a, um, a reliably recurring revenue stream. So you sit down with your CRO, understand the business. The next person you sit down is is with your CFO. Right. So sit down with your CFO and understand, OK, what are the levers as they're talking to the board? What is the board most interested in? What are your investors most interested in? Um, especially if you're on the PE side, on the v VC side is slightly different. But on the PE side, they're going to be looking at these unit economics very, very closely. And once you've got a good understanding of their business, then you can understand, OK, in terms of a product strategy, and execution in the form of a roadmap, what are the levers that we need to be pulling? So for example, 
we want to uh, increase our average selling price, price, our ASP, right? So we can do one of two things. We can either sell a low-end SKU, stock keeping unit, the pricing and package. We can sell more of that quicker and cheaper, or we can sell more of our high-end SKU. We need to be focusing on upgrades. So what that means is to the product team is do we need to be focusing on our, on our high-end features? Do we need to be focusing on transitioning and upgrading our, our users inside the product, right? Um, or do we need to be um, removing friction from our low-end product? Because you can't do, you, especially when you're going from startup to scale up, trying to do everything all at once is super, super challenging. But from there, what you're going to take is you're going to say, okay, we're, we're trying to hit this ARR number. The way that our CRO is is anticipated to do it is sell it, is upselling. So it's our high-end skew, which mm -hmm. means that we're going to increase our average selling price. And it and our average selling price is good for our CFO so that they can report to the board that everything is up and to the right. Right. There's a, a number of other ones. And so I'm now focusing on the high-end skew. What do I need to focus on within the product team? Okay, we need to focus on our roadmap, make sure that what we're building is truly differentiated. And the way that we're going to be uh, measuring success there is, and this is debatable, is a shipping metric. Some people like shipping metrics, some people don't. There's a whole discussion to be had there. Um, how that is going to be released, make sure you've got close coordination with PMMs. So your launch is going to be absolutely fantastic. Make sure you're coordinating your pricing and packaging. So that's all in line. But what it's going to come down to is, that product team is going to be focused like a laser beam on, on shipping that particular feature. And key, especially for the product leader, is that you don't just ship it and walk away. You ship, but that's the beginning of the story. Now you need to get that feature adopted. And that's where things get a little bit more comfortable for product folks, because then you're talking about hard metrics, right? Mm -hmm. Then you're talking about acquisition, activation, the usage of that particular feature, how frequently they're using it. Um, and, and how long are they using that particular feature, right? So are you really getting the return on that investment? So that product team focusing on shipping the feature, getting the feature used, and then that, making sure that you're listening to your CRO, is going to be increasing upgrades and upsells, so expansion. So you're increasing ARR and increasing ASP that keeps your CFO happy. And so everything ends up being tied together. And I love that. Does that makes sense? Because, yeah, yeah. Because if your product is already there, established or established to a certain extent, then you have clear metrics. Hey, you have an on, uh, onboarding funnel that you want to optimize or your customers are already there. Like how do we make sure they use the features? But if the product in itself doesn't exist or it's in very early stages, talk to your team. Like, uh, I mean, if you're in lower level, it doesn't have to be CEP or CFO, et cetera. It has to be someone who is at that level, managing products, et cetera. So you understand their goals and then define it accordingly. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You bring up a very good point. OKRs and all this stuff cannot be, I mean, designed in silos. I mean, we need to bring a lot of uh, different key stakeholders who will be impacted with that. That's when we can drive results. I was yeah. just curious uh, if you had any like example uh, from your experience where maybe a product uh, improvement uh, has seen a noticeable improvement in the business unit economics. I was just curious. Um, let's see. So around unit economics. Uh, so one of the um, so when I was when I was at Slack. So uh, 
the teams that I was I was supporting, the teams that I was leading, uh, we were building out um, everything that basically went around messaging, right? So it was integration integrating into the uh, Google ecosystem. So GCal, Gmail, everything is getting integrated into Slack, integrating into the Microsoft ecosystem. We're also integrating with Zoom, um, and what what that was doing, we're also building out functionality such as your video calling, your reminders, your tasks and things like that. File management was a very, very big deal. And what, what helped us there is by building out all of these features, it completed the overall solution, which enabled us to go into large enterprises and be able to work with those large enterprises to remove those technical objections, remove those business objections and say, okay, Slack is a complete solution. It's not just a messaging point tool. It is a complete collaboration and productivity and communication solution. Therefore, we will not only buy Slack, but we will expand it out through the organization because we were landing very nicely in tech and dev. Right. So EPD, they love Slack, engineers, product folks, design people, they love Slack. But it's really hard to get into sales and marketing, really hard to get out of that that one island or that one beachhead, if you will. And like I say, it was integrating all of these other tools that enabled us to expand. So that increased our overall en uh, enterprise penetration, which increased our overall ASP. Definitely. I love Slack. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we are all big fans of Slack, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nowadays, it's expanding beyond uh, your own company too. Nowadays, I'm following like, like let's say the product marketing alliance, product led alliance, product school, everyone has their own Slack and I keep following things there as well rather than just sticking to the websites. That's great. It's, it's a great way to build a build community for sure. One thing which I would like to add here, when I was working on Amazon, as you may know, Amazon doesn't use outsourced products much like from outside. They use all internal products, even for even chatting. We had like something called Amazon Chime. They said we were not going to use it. And Slack was one of the first products that I've seen, the major one. They bought within Amazon and bought it for bringing all people together for communities. So it, It's funny you mentioned that because it was Amazon Chime that Slack first integrated in to be the video solution for, uh, so we're using the Amazon Chime SDK for the video solution. I don't think we're still using it, but uh, back then we were using it for video within Slack. Slack handling. <laughs> yeah. 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 In, in our organization, yeah, right? Uh, engineers don't respond to emails. It's only Slack. You have to get them and catch them on yeah. Slack. So <laughs> they yes. Don't look at emails. So yeah. Email doesn't awesome. exist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to switch a little bit and, you know, maybe ask a question on uh, innovation. So uh, one thing, right? So, you know, I've, I've worked in startups and also in, you know, larger organizations. When you're in a startup, right, you, you have all the superpowers to kind of create whatever you want. And sometimes, you know, there's a lot of buy-in and all of that stuff. But when you get to an enterprise, right, or a larger enterprise, you know, suddenly everything seems to be against your will and it's very hard to uh, you know get innovation and iterate fast and build products like uh, do you have any you know any guidance on how you could uh, foster innovation at at larger larger enterprises or you know maintain the same velocity as you were doing as a startup yeah the way the way that we um it's kind of a double edged sword actually because it can 
it can it can speed and accelerate you, but it can also slow you down. The way that we did this at uh, at Slack was, and we did this at Outlook Mobile as well, was to dog food your own product. Um, in France, they say, you say drink your own champagne, which I much <laughs> prefer to drink champagne than eat dog food. But um, and that is release everyone inside your company, ideally is using not the dev build for sure, but the stage build of your of your product, right? Of your particular feature in particular. And obviously you're instrumenting that as well. You're getting qualitative feedback from your internal company. So if you're within Amazon, you're within Microsoft or you're within Slack, you've got thousands of users that are, that are using that feature. And there were features that I was working on personally that we would release into internal, into Slack that, Seemed like a really, really good idea, but and people would try it out, but then it would fade away. So we'd have this spike, and then it would just fade away, right? It's like ah, okay. So now we know to um, either pivot that feature, or we need to not invest down that that particular avenue. Alternatively, you'll get other features that are released that you get that uptick, and all of a sudden. So we used to say it wasn't product market fit. It was a, a Slack market fit or product Slack fit. I forget exactly what we said, but it was like, okay, once you've got that adoption internally, now you're onto something. And so you, and you're doing it with a prototype, you know, buyer beware kind of thing. This will break. Um, but then you can go into the productization phase very, very quickly. What you've got there is because those, uh, those employees are using that feature, you've got your internal advocates right? You've okay. got people inside the company that understand the value, understand the value proposition set. And now they just can't wait for you to actually release that onto production, especially the sales organization. When are we going to get this into production so I can start selling it, right? And then all of a sudden, resources don't become a problem, right? Okay. Engineers yeah. want to gravitate to that project, right? So all of a sudden, your things are going in the, in the right direction. Alternatively, if it was a good idea that was poorly executed or it was a bright idea that only you thought was valuable, it's going to go in completely the opposite direction, oh, no. which is also good, right? Because ultimately large organizations need to focus. You don't want these zombie projects that are just, you know, stumbling around, sucking up resources, di um, um, making sure that people aren't focused, et cetera. So internally dog fooding is really the way to accelerate innovation and, and drive to market. So you're like actually getting all of the validation that's done internally and, you know, everything, whatever survives, right, goes out, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Actually, I have one more question, James. So we have been talking about zero to one, one to N, et cetera, right? Let's talk about probably like minus one to zero, like all of us want to. Very bad. <laughs> So let's think of myself, right? Um, I work in a company. I know certain skills and I want to start a company. Obviously, like a bunch of people who are watching our podcast would be in that situation. Hey, eventually I want to start my own company. But there is a bunch of steps folks need to uh, take before you get there. And given that you are already an advisor for a few companies, I'm sure you would be looking at founders who has crossed through those stages and stuff. Yep. What do you think are the typical skills we need to build or what do you think we need to do to get to that zero state, like start my own company? Yeah. Um, what, what I've seen, what I've seen really work is first, first of all, uh, 
an, an analytical mind, if you will, or an anal analytical approach, um, whereby the founder is able to look at very large macro trends and say, okay, this is where things are going. The, and this opens up either opportunities or problems, and problems are just different flavored opportunities, right? Um, so that, that's the first thing, the seeing, um, it's like the old saying, you want to uh, skate to where the puck is going. And so if this macro trend is going in this direction and today is here, you want to hit it there. So they've got that analytical mind. They see something that they want to go for. Um, then obviously they're um, excited about that opportunity. It's going to take a lot of passion, a lot of energy, because you've got that roller coaster that's going to be up and down. Um, you, you can't be a pessimistic entrepreneur. That's an oxymoron, right? And then the other key thing is, is salesmanship or salespersonship, right? Um, you need to be able to quote unquote sell. Now, I don't mean hoodwink people into buying your vision, right? What I mean is through the passion and clear articulation of what you're, what you're going to do and why you're going to do it, you're able to recruit people that can help you. You're able to uh, recruit investors, et cetera, because they are seeing your vision clearly and seeing how they can contribute or participate in that vision. So I think those are going to be some key some key attributes that I think every founder needs to bring to the table if they're going to be starting that new company. I love that overall thought process. As product managers, even now, be it a small feature or be it a new product that you're trying to build in, in your own company, you're trying to set that vision, you're trying to get the funding that you need, you're trying to get the staffing that you need. I think we do that at a very smaller scale right now. I think that's a good thing. Like We need to expand our scope and think about market in general, see that, yeah. and then improve our skills on how we sell it to someone who is not interested in it. Like he's doing something else, pitch your own product, make sure that person is interested and get the funding from them. Yeah. I mean, the key, what I often, what I often see uh, people missing is the reality that you're there to build a business, right? We can get enamored with the shiny thing. We can get enamored with the new technology, right? But ultimately, how do you build that business is, 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 is the key thing. And then it's thinking, okay, back to the old an an analogy of, is it an aspirin or is it a painkiller? Is it a nice to have or a must have, right? Um, and then the other one is what, and this is where product people really can add, whether it's a startup, uh, you know, zero to one, one to N, what is the long-term strategic competitive advantage? What is the defensible moat that you're going to be building as you go along this trajectory, right? Are you building a complete solution? Is your data strategy going to be the thing that is going to differentiate you and the intelligence that you can build upon that, right? Is it the way that you're engaging with your users, right? What sort of network externalities can you build into the product to ensure that you have, like I say, that long-term strategic defensible moat, that strategic defensible advantage? Awesome. So if, if anybody wants to get to that place where they're advising a startup, right? Like, you know, 
what would the job look like right are you like meeting uh, with these founders on a regular cadence advising them on certain problems and like how do you actually end up getting these things right as an advisor uh, would they reach out to you or you know uh, can you maybe throw some light into that uh, so i guess there there are two things i i'm i'm very fortunate that i i get companies and uh ceos uh other product people reaching out to me just asking for advice and and i'm 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 there to help um i'm a very curious person so if people are talking about a new industry or a business and i don't know much about it i, I love having those types of conversations where i can learn um and if it makes sense that i can add value then that will convert into an advisory situation um and then the second part of that is we need to have a firm understanding that you you're you're advising you're not doing right and oh, okay that right so they're actually the subject matter expert of their business their customer um and what you're doing is really helping that person look around corners by asking different questions have you thought about this what about that providing frameworks really helping them think through their own challenges because they know it better than you right if you're the chief product officer then you need to be the subject matter expert and it's a very yeah. different situation right but when those roles are reversed it's okay how can i help that individual take a step back look at things a little bit differently ask a couple of questions that are hopefully a thought provoking and then seeing where you can help in that regards it's a very different way of of operating than when you're inside a company and actually an operator awesome and mm-hmm. uh, i you know like how do you vet these you know when people reach out right how do you like have a process where you vet these or is it more like meeting and trying to see how uh, what what the startup is about and then maybe advising them um a lot of it comes down to uh is it an interesting company trying to solve an interesting problem right is okay. there is there is there a there there right um that's the first thing the second thing you know if if there is domain expertise that i can i can lend that's fantastic so with coho what they're built they're productizing something very similar to what uh, a rudimentary version of that that i built inside of microsoft with various different data science teams okay. um and so i have a very intimate uh, knowledge of the problem that they're looking to solve and and other companies that are similar to that where they're building tools and platforms etc that's going to help uh, other product companies build products better so i can definitely help those types of of companies and then the other part of it really is chemistry right do you do you get on uh do you have a good rapport are you able to collaborate and communicate and this is a relationship you know as you're giving advice or as you're asking these questions obviously they they're not going to take all of your advice right mm-hmm. um and not all of your questions are going to make sense within their context but are you having an engaging conversation is this something where you're adding value um and and you've got and you've got that relationship uh, upon which to build so there's a lot of it is chemistry as well awesome for anybody who's like maybe building a startup right this could be some things which they can consider while reaching out to other people for ad- advice and all of that stuff right as you're saying yeah awesome yeah i mean especially for founders uh reaching out to people um 
articulating the problem that you're looking to solve, the opportunity you've got in front of you, etc. It, it's it's really important because um, whether you're a founder or not, you can end up with with uh, with blinders on, right? You can be so right. enamored with your opportunity or with your, the, your own quote unquote genius. It's like, wow, I've, I found this it's amazing. If we just build this, we're going to be rich. Kind of, you can, and so talking to people um, and and like expressing what your ideas and why you want to build that is a great sounding board, listening to their responses, listening to their questions, really taking them on board and reflecting upon them. And sometimes you can walk away and say, maybe I'm not that smart. Maybe, <laughs> or maybe this has already been done, you know, 17 different times and it's, and it's all failed. But all of this is good information, good data points that you can use as you're thinking about your startup, as you're thinking about your product. Yeah. yeah, I think you kind of touched a bit on this, uh, James, but what I was curious was, I know you mentioned about a lot of startups probably come from minus one to zero or zero to one, but I, I'm also curious to understand what are some of the early signs that these founders can see uh, early in the game to make sure their product uh, can be implemented in reality and how they can course correct that. because. We offer, there are so many messaging apps out there, for instance, right? But why only WhatsApp is successful? And there's so many, like, even like the, the calling apps, like there is a app called uh, Viber, which was pretty, which was doing very similar to WhatsApp, but why only WhatsApp is successful? I was just curious um, how startup founders can get some early signs and course correct. The key concept or the key principle in a often um overlooked there's having the product but it's having the distribution as well you, you you need to have both of those two things working together and so with whatsapp in particular they're famously they're, they're famous for their the distribution mechanism right so uh there are lots of messaging apps out there why was WhatsApp successful? There were two things at the same time. They were taking advantage of this uh, macro level truth. Telecoms companies were gouging their consumers and charging them for a commodity, which was SMS. Right? And it didn't matter if they were charging them a dollar or charging them $10. The principle that something so commoditized was being charged for cause dissatisfaction and unhappiness in the consumer base, right? So that's the macro background that the WhatsApp founders said, okay, this is something that we can solve for. And the second thing is around distribution, right? So they made it drop dead simple. So you download WhatsApp, you share the links from that over to Fanny, and that takes them over to the app store. Fanny downloads WhatsApp and all of a sudden, boom, you're in, right? You've got two people. And then it's Fanny that invites over SMS, Sid. So all of a sudden, you know, those 1,700 uh, SMSs that were going across the three of you and AT&T were racking up those charges. That's fantastic. goes to zero. <laughs> <laughs> As all three of you then go over to, to WhatsApp and you're having the experience over there and you're effectively paying nothing, right? So it's yep. seeing the macro, taking advantage of that, and then looking at the distribution, how are you actually going to be? And this is where self-serve and PLG really come into its own. It's, it's yep. really something that started out in the consumer space. And what we're seeing more and more of is how to leverage the same or similar principles in the B2B space. 
and then layering on top of that to go from um, at PLG, SLG, and hybridizing those to be PLS, right? How can you bring the product and distribution, right? Product and sales together to accelerate your distribution, increase your rate of adoption, and therefore increase your monetization and reduce your overall costs in the process. Did yeah. that answer your, answer your question? Definitely. I think product managers should not just think about like taking the product, but also think holistically from business units mechanisms, right? For instance, we cannot go and build a product which costs millions of dollars, but if does, that doesn't make from financial perspective, right? We need to make sure we can build something uh, which can be scalable and also financially viable and also make sense for business. Right. It's got to be... Um... Another way to think about it from a sales perspective, it's got to be easy to sell, but also easy to buy. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and then people sometimes overlook that. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I've sold you on this fantastic app. Now what you need to do is um, fill in this paper invoice, <laughs> fax it over to my, t and what, what? no, it's got to be self-serve. Lickety split, I'm in, I detect the value. And then it's like, okay, take my money. It's awesome. Please take my money. I want to keep using this. I want to use it more. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So I was actually part of an organization which was moving from sales-led to uh, product-led. When it was sales-led, right, it was like a mess before because, you know, there were different pricing for different customers and every customer, we were building separate solutions and we ended up having multiple different apps to maintain a lot of tech debt, you know, a lot of confusion. So then, then product came in, you said same price for every customer, right? If there's a request from the customer side, we have, you know, we figure out what is the biggest uh, value add and then add it. Even though initially you lose a certain set of, people who want to onboard or uh, certain loss of revenue later you actually bring in a lot more customers than previously uh, you used to get so i i can relate to some of what you're saying yeah yeah there's uh, you you really bring a, a, a up a really interesting topic there sid when when you're talking about tech debt a roadmap pricing and packaging and then you've also got communications out to your customer base through your field organization, so marketing and, and sales combined, and how are you able to migrate customers, existing customers over to a new model? That's right. Yeah. Um, that is, through that normalization process, you're helping everyone inside of the company, That's right? right. Yeah. Everyone is able to do their job much more easily. But change management across that entire organization is yeah. absolutely, and out to customers is absolutely key. And really thinking that ahead of time, being proactive, definitely not reactive. You can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden customers get a different pricing and packaging. That, that's not going to work. Or, or, or alternatively, all of a sudden you're flipping switches and different features are available for different packaging and you haven't communicated to sales who haven't and you haven't communicated to customer success that's an absolute nightmare situation so you've really got to be carefully planning out change management how are you going to bring everyone on board before you actually make these changes yeah absolutely right like previously it was more like okay uh four million solution you get everything all of the features now it's like okay per customer per seat per month this is what you try and you know that sales actually had like a 
script on how they communicate the change to the customers and you know come uh, tell yes. them what the value is and all of that and i can absolutely relate to that perfect awesome uh, yeah great great conversation so i know <laughs> we went into a lot of different directions <laughs> and i learned a lot from all of these conversations right zero to one sales product led growth and building uh, organizations companies and uh, products and all of that stuff so we normally as a tradition and this like with a trivia so fun trivia uh, uh, set of questions right which you could rec- which you rec- recommend so i'll quickly go into that uh, so if you were to recommend your favorite book you know uh, one non product and one product what would they be product one that's that's easy i would say this one it's a classic everyone probably already knows about it inspired by marty kagan i'm sure you're yeah. all very very familiar with that yeah. um and a non product book um oh here's one um it's another classic as well um it's often really hard deep work yeah yeah right um how to protect your time everyone's very familiar with that so nothing really mind blowing there um but um when we're when we're charging ahead and in the thick of things of building a product and building a company um and because a product person is usually in the middle of a lot of different communication and collaboration we forget to prioritize and set time aside to actually have that deep thought where you can then show up to meetings to conferences to customer calls etc um with uh with everything that you need to be there for your team right if you're constantly just task oriented and you're not really thinking deeply about the problems that you're looking to solve really thinking deeply about your customers and the problems that they're bringing up to you then you're not going to be the best version of yourself um as you're showing up for the rest of your team so i i could not recommend that book highly inspired enough. and deep work perfect yeah and uh, if you were to recommend a podcast right which you listen to uh, what would that be or maybe a youtube channel if not a podcast like a podcast that i listen to the prof g pod right and it's with scott galloway So the reason why I find that interesting first of all he's entertaining. Um he's his background is not is not product it's actually marketing. And so it helps you think about things in a slightly different way but it's really interesting about uh what he looks at his companies mostly pr- companies sometimes products but very much from a business perspective. He he talks about macroeconomic trends, he talks about uh the stock market he talks about valuations of companies um impacts of interest rate hikes um impacts of different technologies and it it helps frame things in a way that i probably wouldn't have thought about um if uh, without listening to his podcast and it's also entertaining so you don't feel like you're working so i'll i'll i have two more questions i'll end up there with that and turn it on to see now so <laughs> if you were to say like what is your favorite tv show or netflix netflix series oh, um okay one i don't know about my favorite but the one that i've been uh watching we just finished up yesterday was uh, lupin uh, lupin in english okay. okay um it's about a master thief uh, based okay. in paris it's in french but we've got the uh, you can the subtitles okay um and i love that because of the creativity and it also helps me with my french Okay, awesome. 
and the last one like uh, uh your favorite movie favorite movie uh my classic go-to favorite movie is actually blade runner okay just the storyline um it's got an awesome soundtrack yeah awesome thank you awesome um so before we wrap up maybe uh, if you could share like uh, two key takeaways for any startup uh, founder out there what would that be key takeaways um or maybe two tips takeaways whatever yeah the first one is make sure you're going after a big tam total available market make sure that you're attacking that with um uh, an aspirin not a not a vitamin and make sure that the problem that you're solving is not only intense but frequent right so it's not just something that i'm going to have to solve once a year but something i'm going to have to come back to on a daily basis right so th- those are the three takeaways big market is solving a pain and that pain is frequent that's awesome i think that you covered kind of everything what one needs to look at in three simple terms <laughs> um all right i think we had an, a great conversation uh, james uh, we would like to really thank you for taking your time in your busy schedule and making it available for us i'm sure viewers will be enjoying this conversation they have awesome takeaways especially on the startup space and the sales led growth product led growth and all that stuff you covered a lot of and especially your examples were pretty insightful which lot of people can get some takeaways on Uh, so with that being said uh, we would like to wrap up this uh, podcast and uh, thank you again uh, everyone uh, for uh, watching uh, please don't forget to subscribe thank you thank so you much. thank you gentlemen it's a lot of fun thank you